Hello listeners, a friendly reminder that the companies and topics discussed on this podcast are general advice only. Please consult an advisor or accountant for any personal advice. Hello, hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Market Pulse podcast. Maybe I should say last week's episode of the Market Pulse podcast. I'm a little bit late on this one, not going to lie. You would have realized it didn't come out on its usual spot on the weekend. But I have gotten to it. It is Monday, so the this week's already kicked off. So everything I'll be talking about sort of, sort of happened the other week that's already passed. But this is episode 35, the Delegate Edition. Thank you very much for tuning in. It's a busy, busy week. And I don't mean, I don't mean that just for me personally. It is a busy week. But it's a busy week in, in news and markets. There's a lot of stuff going on. I'm sure you're very aware there's a there's a rate cut there's an election there's this pandemic that's happening lots of things lots of things to talk about this this episode going to touch on a few of those I guess points that I just brought up we're going to go into some of the stuff that uh, a little bit of the stuff that caught my eye on the markets last week but first we're going to talk about how the markets went last week it was not a pretty sight again you might have noticed that if you looked at your own portfolio but Let's kick it off as always. We always start with the ASX 200. Last week it was down 3.9%. Bit ugly. Not as ugly as in the US. Uh, the S&P 500 was down 5.6%. The NASDAQ down 5.5%. So a very yeah, very depressing week for investors everywhere. Um, the market here in Australia was, of course, very much led by those red days that we saw in the US and as you just heard over in the US, it was it was a much much worse week on the markets. It was actually one of the worst weeks in months that we've had here in Australia and in the US for for the financial markets. On our market, the the one stock that did have a bloody cracker of a week was AMP, and that's purely because they got a takeover offer from a private equity firm in the US, not because they did anything good. Um, but that caused the shares to rally quite significantly off. I think they were up in the magnitude of 18 or so percent for the whole week. But ignore that. For the most part, it was it was a bit of doom and gloom, I suppose. There's a couple of things playing on financial markets right now, and I needed to get this episode out because it's going to change over the next couple of days, of course. So the obvious one being the election, which we will get into in a sec, but COVID very much on the forefront. Europe getting a lot of attention for heading in the wrong direction cases kind of exploding across many countries you see france's cases rocket up uh, i think when i recorded i think when i noted this on saturday on the weekend there was about 49,000 cases in a day so you got you, those those countries like france and germany they're going to strict very strict lockdowns apparently in german German hospitals already have patients from the Netherlands because the Netherlands hospitals are already full. So that was according to a report from Reuters on Wednesday last week. You got Belgium about to enter stricter lockdowns. Boris Johnson just announced in the last 24 hours or so that that will also be happening in the UK. Spain having the highest daily increase in cases since the start of the pandemic altogether. Italy, again, recording big cases. You can keep going on. Russia, Greece, Poland, it's, it's just running rampant. Um, and, the, you know, the US continent is not really going much better. It's 
it's ramping up just as it's just as bad in the US. And the point of all this is, is it's weighing down hard on investor sentiment at the moment. It almost feels like we go through a little bit of a roller coaster of emotions as investors. You start to get a bit more hopeful, especially as our domestic scene and countries like New Zealand give you positive examples of what the light at the tunnel, end of the tunnel rather, can look like. But back and back here in that in Australia, it's. There's definitely been a lot of positivity, I think, enclosed in, in, in our little bubble because, you know, we watch uh, Victoria emerge from their lockdowns. Um, but then but then you turn the news on and you're very quickly reminded that it's not exactly something that easily goes away. You know, Europe and the US are examples of what could always come back or happen in a country like our own. And as long as that sort of threat of COVID lingers, let alone rages through parts of the world as we speak, I'm not... I'm not I'm not I'm yet to be sold that a true economic recovery will really begin. Listeners of the show will know I love Howard Marks of Oak Tree Capital. He's spoken this year about why he doesn't think this event is cyclical or you know comparable to a standard business cycle. So what he's referring to there and people like him make this point Ray Dalio makes similar points about this at length. It's that events in the past often show a pattern of we have this rising optimism in markets and credit and, and just business overall, that optimism starts to turn a little bit maybe too optimistic and, you know, eventually sort of exceeds a little bit of reality. Stock prices exceed reality. They're very, very high. They don't tend to reflect the reality for the companies they represent. There's sort of riskier and riskier investment vehicles are embraced by the market. There's looser lending, you know, i.e. you can point to, say, the subprime mortgage crisis that was a catalyst for the GFC very good example of that but then you have this big bust and a downturn but eventually the market and business conditions improve through various measures government stimulus being one now this is a very that was a a very simplistic explanation but so going back to why Howard Marks doesn't think this fits the normal template of a cycle he speaks in his latest memo quote so most of the time downturns stem primarily from economic weakness and they are repaired with economic tools. But this episode is different. It was caused by an exogenous non-economic development, the pandemic. The recession, rather than being the cause, was the result, a closure of business induced intentionally in order to minimize interpersonal contact and halt the spread of the disease. Thus, the down cycle cannot be fully cured merely through the application of economic stimulus. Rather, the root cause has to be repaired, and that means the disease has to be brought under control. Now, I know I tend to fanboy Howard Marks a bit on this podcast, but I very much connect with that sentiment. I think that it's something, I think it's something that the market and investors kind of understand, broadly speaking, as well. So these trends in European, in the Euro- European continent, the US or the North American continent, where you're starting to set all these kind of daily and weekly case records are certainly a step in the wrong direction for market sentiment. And I think and that is definitely still weighing down on investors at the moment. Apart from COVID, the US election looms this week, in the next couple of days, in fact. Investors are weighing the outcome of how quickly and smoothly an, out, uh, an, out, an election outcome becomes clear to us. In episode 30, the bar cart edition, I spoke at the top of the show about the idea around the election result maybe not being fully clear on the election night itself. Now, that is not a guarantee. It will depend on how the early counting goes, but I raised some issues around key swing states such as Pennsylvania, 
Wisconsin, Michigan, they will not start counting the postal early votes until election day itself. And this is very different to other important states like a Florida. So they are counting those votes now. So you, you could see, well, the winner of a state like Florida could be very clear very quickly. And if Biden wins Florida, Trump's toast. But that's a different topic. So why do I bring, why touch on all the election stuff and how does it affect markets? Well, someone much smarter than me, Hamish Douglas of Magellan Financial this week or last week was echoing this concern in a bit of a speak. He was speaking to the Australian Financial Review. He quoted saying, there's a distinct possibility we could get an ugly contested case where we just do not know the result. He said, we just have to expect if it's a close election that we're going to have a period of uncertainty in markets and markets don't like uncertainty. Very common phrase you'll hear all the time, all the time, markets do not like uncertainty. Now he, what he's echoing, well, now he echoes that a clear result quickly after the election would likely mean that it's a Biden victory. And that is reflective of what political analysis sites like 538 predict. So if it goes Biden's way, it's likely to go quickly and it would be clear relatively quickly. But there's also still a chance it takes a couple of days though. So we will be we will be watching the market, we'll be watching, no doubt. Okay, and on that note, I've decided to mark this episode with a bit of a prediction, as it is the last episode before the US election. I think we're going to see a Biden win this week. And often one of the first responses you get to something, saying something like that is, the, yeah, but the polls are wrong, the polls are wrong, the polls are wrong. And yes, I'm not disputing that. There's a couple differences worth noting this time around. Pollers aren't idiots, they do learn. And one thing they've done this time is poll the living hell out of those states that they kind of took for granted in terms of thinking that it was an easy sort of Clinton win or at least a lean Clinton win and swung to Trump. So they've polled them a lot more this time. I can't remember which state, it, I think it was Wisconsin, but it was some some silly number like in the weeks leading up to that last election in 2016, they'd had like two polls. There's basically not enough data to properly analyze and see see like a shift to Trump that's occurring in real time. And for those important key three swing states, they are currently, and I emphasize currently, and this is as I was writing notes on Saturday and Sunday, but they were polling Biden up by more points than the actual points error in the polls that Trump beat Clinton by in those states. So, so it's like even if you take the error from that last one and you applied it directly to these polls, it still has Biden up in those three states now. Now, I will caveat that and say some of this is barely. Pennsylvania is just enough ahead if you take into the, that error from the last polls. It's, it's, it, Pennsylvania is going to be a tough one. But also a big dynamic in this election is there also there's also vastly less, less undecided voters compared to 2016. There isn't much of a third-party option compared to the ballot back then when people could pick people like Gary Johnson and stuff, considering how many people have already voted already, I think the polls, I don't know, I'm not convinced that the poll is going to be some nightmare situation of being completely off or completely wrong. And on that note about voting, like there's states like Texas, they've already had more pre-voting. So like, you know, mail ballots, ballots, sorry, and, and the early voting that you can do, they've had more of it in this election than they had in total actual full voting so they've still got a long way to go so they'll smash records the u.s will be smashing voting records this election anyway none, none of, I know I'm not saying, none of this is saying that 
none of this is me saying that Trump has no hope. I'm I'm just putting a marker down on where I think it's headed based on, I guess, the way I'm surveying the land as it, as it is. But I will be keeping a super, super close eye on those three states that I keep that I've mentioned, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, as well as Florida is important to watch, especially because you could see how it's going to swing very early. If it's swinging towards Biden in Florida, it could, could be an indicator that it's all over for Trump completely. Uh, Arizona is important to watch. North Carolina is important to watch. So we have COVID. We have elections. Investors will be watching them very closely. The third one is the Reserve Bank of Australia. This is not that crucial. And what I mean by that is because the market is fully expecting the Reserve Bank to cut rates. It's basically more or less guaranteed to happen on Melbourne Cup Day this week. Basically, the interest rate markets themselves and economists are in the vast majority pricing in or or predicting that there will be an interest rate cut. The cut itself will be what's called a 15 basis points cut. So it's at the cash rates at 0.25%. It will go down to 0.1%. So again, it will just be setting another record of the lowest it's ever been in history. But basically, it's it's more uh, the reason I say it's not as crucial. I guess it's it's more or less um, expected or priced in for the market. So have a look out for that one on Tuesday. But that's Reserve Bank of Australia. We're going to jump into a couple of company specific stuff. I'm going to start with Australia. I'm just going to start on one. There wasn't a lot that I really sort of jumped on last week, but one I one I like watching. I don't own, but one I like watching is Resmed. They were. I mean, amongst a sea of red last week, they were one of the uh, bright spots for investors. I think they were up around the 8.5% mark. And it's because they came out with a quarterly and their quarterly was quite good. And we've talked at length about some of those companies out there just being in the right space for COVID in terms of product offerings. Uh, ResMed is one of those who really ramped up their production of ventilator devices in response to the pandemic. Of course, they would have had big demand from countries, governments all over the world for this. The main sort of headline here is that across the quarter, ResMed did manage to improve revenue by 9%. So that's the quarter that ended in September. Now, they do have some some headwinds in, in the form, I guess you could say, so their core products that they, you know, some of these products require like hospital diagnosis and stuff. They have suffered because hospitals around the world have been primarily focused on the pandemic and you, you see that kind of scenario play out for other ASX healthcare companies, say like a Nanosonics was, I think, I think we spoke about Nanosonics from one, they have this uh, st- sterilization device, I guess. And it's a, it's a very good product and they're a very good business, but the trouble for them is getting into the hospitals this year to sell their product, I suppose. And so on that point, basically, so for ResMed, some of their core products have, I guess, not done as well, but that's because of, just the nature of what 2020 has been like, but the they've more than made up for it with their sales in masks and ventilators. And I spoke before about those spikes in COVID across Europe. Interestingly, the ResMed chief exec, Mick Farrell, doesn't, doesn't seem too phased about this from the company's operating perspective. He said, quote, that every month it does get better across the portfolio of countries. Even with the second waves in the Northern Hemisphere, we still expect to see sequential improvement in the flow of sleep apnea and asthma patients into our system. So ResMed, I guess, in similar vein to the likes of a Fisher & Pike, we having a lot of success with 
those products this year, like ventilators, as you can imagine. The other thing we're going to talk about, because I did mention we were going to jump on this last episode was some of the big US tech stuff. And I'm just going to run through a couple pointers here regarding them. Let's start with Apple. Apple had some results that were received quite well by the market. Yeah, they were received well by the market, but there was some underlying issues, I guess, with some of their results. Well, one of the things here that CNBC points out is they didn't give first quarter 2021 guidance, which they normally do. And they wouldn't have done it because, you know, just like every company, they'd be saying, oh, there's too many unknowns in the world right now. We don't want to provide guidance, which is like a fair statement. But usually people who follow Apple stock use that as a hint at how Apple are going to, I guess, expect the sale of the iPhone or the current that year's iPhone to go, right? So they always release an iPhone towards the end of the year. And then you sort of go towards Christmas. So obviously you imagine that there's people just buying a new phone. Then there's probably a lot of Christmas presents of the phone, blah, 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 blah. And so if they give a they give guidance of the first quarter of 2021, that gives you a sign as an investor of what Apple thinks or how successful they think the iPhone's going to go. But they didn't do that this time. Interestingly enough, on the iPhone, it's noted here also by CNBC that iPhone sales were down overall more than 20%. That's year over year. So not quarterly, but just year over year. The CEO, Tim Cook, stayed relatively, it was pretty optimistic on the, the sort of investor conference call saying that they were optimistic about those that new range of iPhones in terms of, you know, they're 5G enabled and they think that they're going to have some, you know, some strong sales, especially in markets outside of the US. But there's some other good stuff to what, uh, was going on there for Apple. So Mac revenue specifically up 28% year on year, iPad revenue up 46% from the last from the same quarter last year. And the wearables is a good one for Apple because wearables is something that's it's been a big part of Apple, it's a sort of big growing part of Apple over the last years and years. And so wearables is, as you can imagine, like the Apple Watch also includes things like AirPods, like just the little things like wearables, you know, it makes, you know, you know what it is. And so sales for that category were up 20% year over year basis. And then the the other one that people always like to talk about is Apple services. So services is the sort of non or not as not so tangible stuff, right? So uh, what, what, you know, when you buy an iPhone or something and you can get the Apple care and then iCloud and you can pay for Apple Music. And if you buy an app through the App Store, they get fees like through that, all that stuff. So that, that ex- in this case, in the, in the last quarter, that exceeded the expectations from Wall Street. That actually grew about 16% year on year. So it wasn't, it, yeah. So the, I guess the, the, flag, the red flag flew up regarding the iPhone sales or the, and that sort of worried some people. But overall, pretty good result by Apple. Don't really blame them for not giving guidance. And then you have Amazon that's worth talking about, one of the biggest employees in the world. Over, it says it, over, it's like 1.1 million employees across the globe. It's say, well, and, they, and they've been a company that's actually been on a massive hiring spree in 2020, unlike many other companies, of course. So Amazon, given the year that we've had, very big beneficiary to the likes of ordering everything from the comfort of your home and not going outside. Their revenue results did come in better than expected. 
uh, against the actual Wall Street analysts. So they did pretty well. Pretty big profits and sales numbers year over year. Growth numbers are big. I'm not going to go through them, but yeah, big big day for Amazon, big year for Amazon. The other issue is these kind of big increases, especially in demand, also drives up their costs a fair bit um, because they don't their margin on some on stuff like Amazon, like just you know when you just buy stuff through the packaging, like they don't make that much money compared to some of their their other ventures. So when you compare it to things like Amazon Web Services, which is basically like their cloud computing offering, that that is a much bigger money maker in terms of the actual margin that they generate off of that business. But it's been a big year for Amazon, big year for shareholders. Their, their shares are up around 70% for the year so far. So even though like we have those week, like those weeks like last week where it seems sort of doom and gloom in the broader context, you if you've been holding Amazon this whole year, you've been basically fine. <laughs> Don't worry about last week. The other one that was interesting for me, I'm not, I don't actually use this website at all, but Pinterest, they had a pretty good week. They were, I think they're, it's around 11% or so. Their, their stock was up for the week, but they are having some massive or very strong user growth. Or they, they say MAUs, so monthly active users. So that was 343 million up. That's up 46% year on year for Pinterest. But what what I found interesting, what I sort of listened to about Pinterest is they have seen, so good for them, they've seen an ad revenue increase and they attribute that to this broad industry thing that's been going on where people have basically been boycotting certain other social media platforms like, like Zuck's platform. <laughs> um, and I think Snapchat mentioned something similar to this before where they 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 sort of they're trying to position themselves to get more ad revenue, obviously, but to position themselves as hey, we're not those bad ones that you're that people are boycotting at the moment. So Pinterest themselves had some big, really big revenue growth in terms of uh, from their advertising. Again, they're not similar to again to Apple, they're not providing much uh, I guess guidance around how this will play out for the for the next quarter or the next year. But again, you can't, yeah, I mean, that's that's understandable in some way. They also said the release of iOS 14 was really good for Pinterest because it they had all these people using it for, you know, their customized backgrounds and all this kind of stuff that have been part of that iOS 14 release. So they are also subject to those kind of little things. But that's a bit about some of the tech stuff I don't want to waffle on too long because I'm sort of conscious of the time as well. And I kind of want to get this episode out because otherwise all the stuff I'm talking about is going to become different or irrelevant. So that's it for this episode. Look, I'm going to go through some of the stuff over the last week. And if I find some other interesting stuff, I will put it in the next episode. But by then we'll know, well, we might know about the election. It's going to be interesting to see how it plays on the market. Remember how I said that last time... Yeah, it had a bit of a dip immediately when they when the market, yeah, or well, everyone discovered the result. But then it just kicked off a, basically a huge bull run for a couple of years. So who knows what's going to happen? Thank you very, very, very much for tuning in. This is episode 35, the delegate edition. If you do have questions for the show at any point, you can shoot them through marketpulsepodcast at gmail.com. 
But otherwise, enjoy the rest of your week. My name is Dion Grimmett. Thank you for tuning in. Have a good one. Cheers.